0: 1,095. If you eat three meals a day, that's the number of meals you'll consume in a year. Each meal will be unique in its own way. Some will be a simple way to fuel your body, like a piece of fruit eaten over the sink before running out the door. Others are elaborate or steeped in tradition, like a Thanksgiving dinner. Meals can take us on an appetizing culinary adventure or transport us to a familiar time and place with comforting flavors. Every meal is a chance to express your culture, values, and preferences and each meal is also a chance to provide nourishment and express love for yourself and others. In this episode of Midtown Bookshelf, we're discussing books on the topics of meals and highlighting ways that you can bring the joy of a good meal to members of our community. Welcome to Midtown Bookshelf on Midtown Radio. This is Serena McDermott and I'm here with Allison Dijak. Hello. And Matt Rappelt. Hello. So this week we're talking about books that connect to the theme of meals. Um, with us being at home so much now, there's a lot of time for cooking and meals and and thinking about food. For you two, what is the recent meal that you've had and and what did that meal mean for you?
1: Well, because we're at home so much, we have a lot of time to do great cooking. We've been having like three full meals every day, <laughs> which is probably not great for us considering the lack of exercise we've been doing. Um, but I wanna talk about a meal that we had that was one we didn't cook. Um, and that was the, the meal that we had for Allison's birthday last week. And we ordered in Chinese fruit, food from a great uh, Chinese restaurant down the street. And it was just a really wonderful meal. It was an opportunity for us to take a break from cooking, to just enjoy the flavors and to celebrate a, a, a meaningful occasion together.
0: Mm-hmm. And support a local business too, right? Yeah. Of, of course.
1: course, it's all about supporting local business. <laughs>
0: That's great. I would say one of the
2: things that stands out for me is um, last week I made vegetable scrap broth. So this was something that I had heard about a lot. Um, And it was something that I thought I would take the time to do since we're at home. So I had heard of people saving scraps of vegetables that they use over a month or however long. They put them in the freezer and then when you have a substantial amount, you can boil them up and make your own homemade veggie broth. So that was really neat. I mean, because we're at home so much, yeah, we are doing a lot of cooking. So I've been trying to be a lot more intentional about you know, reusing food or using every single part of, of ingredients that I buy. So that was really neat to kind of challenge myself to try something new and try to be um, a little bit more careful with the food that I have at home.
0: How did it work out, Allison?
2: It was good. It was really, really good. It was a really small batch because I had only been collecting scraps for maybe like two and a half weeks. Um, but it was enough to put in to think what i used it in i think i was making oh i made lentil soup and then i used it for for the lentils so that was really good it wasn't a full batch to make a huge batch of soup but it was nice to know that my meal had something that i had totally made from scratch
1: i can also verify that it was absolutely delicious
0: (laughs) that's great yeah, I I had a really nice meal last night. We had we tried a new um, like one pot mushroom spaghetti recipe, mm. and so my husband made that last night, and that was just really nice for me to kind of take a night off from cooking and just get to be the the recipient of someone else's homemade goods. Nice. And I think uh, he got really into the cooking and decided after dinner that he was then going to turn around and make scones. So oh, that was lucky. also delicious. <laughs>
1: One pot um, spaghetti is the ultimate comfort food. You can mm-hmm. never go wrong with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it was it was great. Um, now, you know, here we are sharing all of these great f- food memories from the past few days and weeks. But we know that this is such a challenging time and there are a lot of members of our community who are not able to enjoy meals mm-hmm. right now. So what are some ways that you guys are, you know, bringing the joy of a good meal to others in our community?
2: Um, well, yesterday I actually did one of my weekly grocery shops and I've been trying really hard for the past couple of months actually, every time I go to the grocery store just to pick up one or two things that I pop in the food bank box um, that are over by the, the checkouts, usually. Um, it's honestly, it is hard to remember to do that. Um, you know, usually you just have your list and you stick to the list and you go out your groceries and want to get in and out as quick as possible. But I am really challenging myself to make sure that I can buy, you know, even just a few cans of soup um, just to make sure that I'm kind of keeping in mind the community when I'm doing my own shop and and budgeting and and things like that. So I did that yesterday. I'm gonna try really hard to do it next week when I go out too.
0: That's great. And I just noticed something really cool at the grocery store the other day that those donation bins, Mm -hmm. at least um, locally in this area, those bins are actually constructed by um, the students at Conestoga College as one of their uh, like construction projects in their training. I so, like, what a cool that? way for wow. the, those students to pitch in for the community, too. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Matt?
1: Uh, well, I've been trying to uh, share a lot of the recipes that Alison and I have been cooking uh, with friends and family and in return do like a sort of a recipe swap. I mean, not everybody has the same level of, of cooking skill and not everybody... Um, has the same recipes, obviously. So we've been really tr- uh, making an effort to try to swap recipes with friends and family and share ingredients with neighbors and, uh, and, and family members um, in order for us to make sure that we all have the right ingredients to cook food and the right recipes to be able to make great food. So that's been really nice.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, one one um, action that we can take that I wanted to highlight was actually donations through the Grand River Hospital website. Mm-hmm. So they have a really wonderful program set up where Binghamins, a, a local business, is keeping their staff on and keeping their catering going. And those folks are cooking meals that are then delivered to frontline workers mm-hmm. in the hospital. You know, so nutritious meals to keep these folks going and the fact that we are the ones donating the meals i think is also really great because every time one of those workers receives a meal they know that someone in the community was thinking about them and wishing them well and purchased that for them so Mm -hmm. that they could have a a better day so um, that's what we did last week and we were able to purchase a few meals for our local hospital workers at grand river hospital so for any folks who have the means that's a great Um, use of money to support a business and support our frontline workers
1: Mm -hmm. amazing that's great
0: yeah so let's uh hit it off with our first song here we have local artist alicia brilla she's going to be singing for us hungry heart Welcome back to Midtown Bookshelf on Midtown Radio. We are exploring picture books on the theme of meals today. I'm here with Allison Dijak, who's going to be sharing a story with us. Hello. Allison, what book have you brought? So, I have
2: brought today a classic, Pancakes, Pancakes, by Eric Carl. So, Eric Carl, you might know him for some of his famous books, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, What Do You See, or The Very Hungry Caterpillar. Um, Eric Carle writes some really, really great books that I would say are for some younger audiences. Um, A lot of his uh, simple ones, you know, Brown Bear, Brown Bear, they follow a pattern and they're really, really great for younger kids. And he has a really great way to tell a simple story in, I think a creative way. He kind of will latch on to one small concept and turn it into this uh, interesting little story Uh, His books always have very vivid and bright illustrations. He has a really distinct um, art style that he does. And so when I came across Pancakes, Pancakes, I thought it was just a great fit for a nice, simple story about, about making food. So I'm going to read a bit of it for you today. This is Pancakes, Pancakes, written by Eric Carle and illustrated by Eric Carle as well. Kikariki! crowed the rooster. Jack woke up, looked out the window, and thought, I'd like to have a big pancake for breakfast. Jack's mother was already up and busy. Mother, said Jack, I'd like to have a big pancake for breakfast. I'm busy, and you will have to help me, she said. "'How can I help?' asked Jack. "'We'll need some flour,' she replied. "'Take a sickle and cut as much wheat as the donkey can carry. "'Then take it to the mill. "'The miller will grind it into flour.' "'When Jack had cut enough wheat, "'he put it on the donkey's back and took it to the miller. "'Can you grind this wheat for me?' he asked. I need it for a big pancake. First, we must separate the grain from the chaff. He gave Jack a flail and spread the wheat onto the ground. The miller took another flail and began to beat the wheat with it. Jack helped with the thrashing and soon there was a big pile of straw and chaff and a small pile of grain. The miller poured the grain on a large flat stone. On top of it was a round millstone connected to the water wheel on the outside. The water wheel turned round and round, turning the millstone round and round, too, to grind the grain into flour. At last, the miller handed Jack a bag of flour. Here's the flour, shouted Jack, Let's make a pancake! But his mother said, Now we need an egg. Jack went to the black hen and fed her some grain that had slipped into his pocket while he had been threshing. Cluck, cluck, said the black hen, and went inside the hen house. Then she said, Cluck, cluck, once more, and laid an egg. Here's an egg, shouted Jack let's make a pancake but his mother said now we need some milk jack went to the spotted cow and began to milk her moo moo said the spotted cow and the milk squirted into the pail here's the milk shouted jack let's make a pancake but his mother said we need some butter Jack got the butter and churn and held it between his knees. His mother scooped the cream from the top of the milk and put it into the butter churn. Jack pushed the churn handle up and down, up and down. Finally, the cream turned into butter. Here is the butter, shouted Jack. Let's make a pancake. And so the same pattern continues on in this book until Jack has also fetched firewood to make a fire to cook the pancake and gotten strawberry jam from the cellar to have something sweet to put on top. And I'm going to leave our book there for today, but I'll tell you the book ends with a lovely step-by-step instructions to making pancakes with Jack's mother teaching him all of the little tips and tricks that go along with it, like making sure there are no lumps in the batter and flipping it carefully and then of course enjoying the fruits of their labor together. So
0: what did you think of Pancakes Pancakes? (laughs) I really enjoyed that. I don't think I've read that book before even though it seems like such a a classic I'm surprised that I hadn't read it Mm -hmm. and I the whole time you were reading it I kept thinking about what a great starting point that book would be for a discussion about where our food comes from Mm -hmm. and all the the people who are involved in the making of our food exactly yeah that's why I was I was really drawn to it um I think that a lot
2: of kids and even adults might not know the the full origins of where everything comes from or maybe take the time to think about it. So I thought that was neat how he could highlight that.
0: Yeah, when you, when you started talking about the wheat and the chaff and the sickle and yeah. you know all of these uh, farm terms, I don't think I'm even really that familiar with them. Mm. I thought what a great learning opportunity that is. Yeah, I agree. What do you think, Matt?
1: The entire time you were reading it, all I could think about is Jack must really want that big pancake. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I love pancakes, but I'm not sure if I would put in that much effort just to get a single big pancake.
2: Yeah. I have to say something that I really liked about the way that Eric Carl wrote this was that although it is a lot of effort and a lot of work going into it, um, you know, he doesn't make Jack like whiny or complaining about it he's just he's just kind of going about his jobs because that's obviously what that family has to do living on a farm uh, you know wherever they are and so I like that he he made him just like an excited little boy that is just excited to get his breakfast and although you can imagine there's some urgency um in his in his character and in his voice you know it's not super apparent that he's like really unhappy that he has to do all these jobs he's just kind of getting it done and and doing the job to get his his meal that day Mm
1: -hmm. and i think also um i think also the book can um can teach kids a lot about the value of patience and how you know and all these simple things that we have at home in simple meals or even in, in in the um you know, the, the the items that we have in our house, there's so much that goes into it that we are unaware of. And, yeah. um, you know, by just looking at the, um, the recipe for pancakes and all the work and all the labor and all the ingredients that goes into it, I mean, you can apply that to everything in our lives.
2: hmm definitely. So obviously this book is based in a time when, you know, a lot more effort was needed to make a meal And we now have the luxuries of store-bought and pre-made food. You know, you can buy pancake mix from the store that you just add water to. And we have appliances that can also do a lot of the work for us. But how do you think we can still maintain these values about appreciating where our food comes from and putting the effort into making a good meal, even though we have all these modern-day luxuries?
0: I think um, Jack's mom is doing a good, like, sort of has a good start here with um, having him be involved in the process. Mm -hmm. And I think involving our kids in the process of making food starts to illuminate for them the the process and the work that goes into it, even if they aren't the ones going and, you know, chopping the wood for the (laughs) stove themselves, even, you know, having them be part of taking out the supplies, maybe picking them out at the grocery store, Mm -hmm. taking out the supplies you need for cooking um you know helping with the washing up afterwards that's a good way for them to understand the you know all of the processes that go into making a great meal yeah
1: i think also choosing where you get your your ingredients from is really really important choosing where you get that food because human beings i mean we are social creatures we like to have relationships with the things that we use and so it's really really important for us to have that relationship with the people who produce our food as well. And that's a way that we can still understand that no, it doesn't just appear in the grocery store, prepackaged and ready for us to take home. No, it, it actually comes from a person who has to put the labor in and put the time in and put the effort in to actually grow the, the, the foods and mm-hmm. actually, you know, it goes through this whole supply chain. But it's not just automated. There's people there who are making that, that all possible. So I think it's sort of exposing the relationships and connecting person to person with the various people who are in the food production system that we have. Mm-hmm. And I mean, for kids, I love the fact that schools go to farms as a regular field trip. It shows them, you know, especially for urban students, it shows them something that they may never have seen before. They may not know that milk actually does come from a cow. Yeah really (laughs) or that um, you know potatoes are actually just you know things plant like roots of vegetables planted in the ground like Mm -hmm. it's it's hard for students to visualize that stuff and young kids especially so it's great that we are able to um, or the more the more chance we get to connect with farmers and connect with people the more real those relationships are going to be and the more those values are going to be maintained
2: Mm -hmm. yeah I, I agree I think it's it's really important when we can Um, try to make little shifts in our lifestyles, you know, whether it's where we're going shopping um, or what we're choosing at the grocery store to find ways to, you know, eat more food that's local or um, things that, you know, we know exactly where they came from and we can chat with the person who grew them at the farmer's market or something. I think that's really, really important and it's a great value to try to, to work into your you know the way that you plan and and create meals Mm -hmm.
0: that's great so allison what song did you bring with you for to celebrate this book (laughs) so uh when i
2: was reading this book it really transported me to its setting you know thinking about the rolling hills of a farm the fields of wheat the blue skies that might be above and when i started to think about this setting i had a song that immediately came to mind So I'm going to play you actually an instrumental song today. It's by a musician named James Hill. Uh, He is an incredible, incredible ukulele and violin player. Um, And I encourage our listeners to just listen to this song and try to picture yourself on that farm with Jack, you know, maybe even close your eyes. Just think about what might be around you and transport yourself to the countryside. So this is A Psalm Like a Bird by James Hill.
1: that lovely little tune was the song Assam, Like a Bird by James Hill. Welcome back to Midtown Bookshelf. Today we're exploring the concept of meals and we're feasting on some great children's literature. Serena, what did you bring in for us today?
0: I have brought the book Stregonona, which is written and illustrated by Tommy de Piola. This book is recommended for pre-K up to about grade four, but of course we always say that anyone will enjoy it. This actually is an original story, despite the fact that in the first edition, it was actually billed as a retelling by Tommy DePiola. And this book has the distinction of having been banned in the past because it features some magic. Yes. So with that lead in, I'll get right into the story. In a town in Calabria, a long time ago, there lived an old lady everyone called Streganona, which meant Grandma Witch. Although all the people in town talked about her in whispers, they all went to see her if they had troubles. Even the priests and the sisters of the convent went because Stregonona did have a magic touch. She could cure a headache with oil and water and a hairpin. She made special potions for the girls who wanted husbands, and she was very good at getting rid of warts. But Stragonona was getting old, and she needed someone to help her keep her little house and garden, so she put up a sign in the town square, and Big Anthony, who didn't pay attention, went to see her. Anthony, said Striganona, you must sweep the house and wash the dishes. You must weed the garden and pick the vegetables. You must feed the goat and milk her, and you must fetch the water. For this, I will give you three coins and a place to sleep and food to eat." "'Oh, grazie,' said Big Anthony. "'The one thing you must never do,' said Stregonona, "'is touch the pasta pot. It is very valuable, and I don't let anyone touch it.'" "'Oh, see, yes,' said Big Anthony." And so the days went by. Big Anthony did his work, and Stregonona met with the people who came to see her for headaches and husbands and warts. Big Anthony had a nice bed to sleep in next to the goat shed, and he had food to eat. One evening when Big Anthony was milking the goat, he heard Stregonona singing. Peeking in the window, he saw Stregonona standing over the pasta pot. She sang, bubble, bubble, pasta pot, boil me some pasta nice and hot. I'm hungry and it's time to sup, boil some pasta to fill me up. And the pasta pot bubbled and boiled and was suddenly filled with steaming hot pasta then Stregonona sang enough enough pasta pot i have my pasta nice and hot so simmer down my pot of clay until i'm hungry another day how wonderful said big anthony that's a magic pot for sure and Stregonona called big anthony in for supper but too bad for big anthony because he didn't see Stragonona blow three kisses to the magic pasta pot. And this is what happened. The next day, when Big Anthony went to the town square to fetch the water, he told everyone about the pasta pot. And naturally, everyone laughed at him because it sounded so silly. A pot that cooked all by itself? You better go and confess to the priest, Big Anthony, they said, such a lie. And Big Anthony was angry, and that wasn't a very good thing to be. I'll show them, he said to himself. Someday I will get the pasta pot and make it cook, and then they'll be sorry. That day came sooner than even Big Anthony would have thought, because two days later, Streganona said to Big Anthony, Anthony, I must go over the mountain to the next town to see my friend Strega Amelia, sweep the house and weed the garden, feed the goat and milk her, and for lunch... There is some bread and cheese in the cupboard. And remember, don't touch the pasta pot. Oh, yes, yes, Dragonona, said Big Anthony. But inside, he was thinking, my chance has come. As soon as Dragonona was out of sight, Big Anthony went inside, pulled the pasta pot off the shelf, and put it on the floor. So Anthony sings the pasta song and begins to cook some of the pasta. He's so excited that he goes out to tell the other villagers. Everyone get forks and plates and platters and bowls, pasta for all at Stragonona's house. Big Anthony has made the magic pasta pot work. Of course, everyone laughed, but ran home to get forks and plates and platters and bowls. And sure enough, when they got to Stragonona's, the pasta pot was so full, it was beginning to overflow. Big Anthony was a hero. He scooped out pasta and filled the plates and platters and bowls. There was more than enough for all the townspeople, including the priests and the sisters from the convent. And some people came back for two and three helpings, but the pot was never empty. When all had their fill, Big Anthony sang, and he sings the song to let the pot know that they are all done. But alas, he did not blow the three kisses. He went outside and to the applause of the crowd, Big Anthony took a bow. He was so busy listening to compliments from everyone that he didn't notice the pasta pot was still bubbling and boiling until his sister from the convent said, Oh, Big Anthony, look! And pasta was pouring out of the pot all over the floor of Stregonona's house, and it was coming out the door. Big Anthony rushed in and shouted the magic words again, but the pot kept bubbling. He took the pot off the floor, but pasta kept pouring from it. Big Anthony grabbed a cover and put it on the pot and sat on it, but the pasta raised the cover and Big Anthony as well, <laughs> and it spilled on the floor of Streganona's house. Stop, yelled Big Anthony, but the pasta did not stop, and if someone hadn't grabbed poor Big Anthony, the pasta would have covered him up. The pasta had all but filled the little house. Out of the windows and through the doors came the pasta, and the pot kept right on bubbling. The townspeople began to worry Oh, do something, Big Anthony, they shouted. Big Anthony sang the magic song again, but without the three kisses, it did no good. By this time, the pasta was on its way down the road, and all the people were running to keep ahead of it. We must protect our town from the pasta, shouted the mayor. Get mattresses, tables, doors, anything to make a barricade. But even that didn't work. The pot kept bubbling, and pasta kept coming. "'We are lost,' said the people. "'And the priests and the sisters of the convent began praying. "'The pastor will cover our town,' they cried, "'and it certainly would have had Stregonona "'not come down the road home from her visit. "'She didn't have to look twice to know what had happened. "'She sang the magic song and blew the three kisses, "'and with a sputter, the pot stopped boiling "'and the pasta came to a halt. "'Oh, grazie, thank you, thank you, Stregonona, the people cried. But then they turned on poor Big Anthony. String him up, the men from the town shouted. No, wait, said Stregonona. The punishment must fit the crime. And she took a fork from a lady standing nearby and held it out to Big Anthony. All right, Anthony. You wanted pasta from my magic pasta pot, Stregonona said. And I want to sleep in my little bed tonight, so start eating. And he did. Poor big Anthony. And that is Striganona, written huh. and illustrated by Tommy DiPiola. That's great. <laughs> wow.
2: <laughs> I love that story. That's very funny. So I
0: know this book is new for both of you. Mm-hmm. Um, how, What? as you were listening to it, did it strike you as being particularly useful for a classroom? Or was there a certain lesson that you had used to teach this book?
2: Um, I think that I, I really liked the idea that Um, you know, we have to be thankful for the food that we have and that we want to have. You know, I, I like that the key to making the magic pot work properly was that you had to give it, blow it the three kisses. Um, because I think it's an important lesson for, for kids and adults to, to remember that it's really important to be thankful and share our gratitudes for what we have and you know not take it for granted that we we get to eat food every day and it comes relatively easy for some people to get food so i think that's a super important lesson
1: i think the lesson i don't know about i don't know about a classroom but i think that is a great lesson for parents in in this book and the lesson is don't just tell your children not to touch something without explaining why. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> point. Because obviously they're going to want to do it.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah, I've I've heard it suggested that this one is a good uh, book to use to discuss foreshadowing because mm-hmm. I think you do get that a bit, especially when you can see the illustrations as well with with Anthony always peeking around the corners and in the beginning of the book, when Anthony is first introduced, he's introduced as Anthony who didn't pay attention (laughs) and you think, okay, if the author's telling me that he doesn't pay attention, that will probably come back somewhere later in the book. Yeah, of course.
2: Yeah. I think it's, I I like what you said, Matt, that it's important that, you know, when we're explaining things to children, we're not just giving them a catch-all answer of like, You just can't do that and i mean sometimes there are there are few situations where it's just a firm no and and not a lot of explanations but i think it is important to to you know give children the dignity that they deserve that you know they can hear an explanation of something a simple explanation um, and understand why you know they aren't able to do something or why they have to be careful around something
1: of course it comes back to trust right i mean if you have a, a relationship of trust with whether it's a child or somebody else, then you're going to give them the respect um, in order to give them the reasons why they shouldn't be doing something or should do something. I mean, that's about building a relationship of respect with that other person, whether they're, you know, four years old or whether they're 94 years old.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I like that idea of uh, trust, Matt, because I think that goes both ways. We can talk about how Streganona, you know, trusted big anthony as an employee but didn't trust him enough to share the explanation about this pot Uh, then we can also talk about how big anthony was entrusted with the house while Stregonona was gone and ended up violating that trust Mm -hmm.
1: yeah and had to eat all that pasta
0: (laughs) do you think the crime or the punishment fit the crime
1: i think he got off easy on that one although if there was no sauce then that would be a problem (laughs)
0: some plain pasta
1: if you had some rose sauce on there then i would i'd be on board with that punishment
0: (laughs) if you had a magic pasta pot or not a magic pasta pot just a magic food pot what kind of food would it be producing
1: it's a tricky one Uh,
3: i got mine
0: okay
1: uh i i would have a magic soup pot that could make any kind of soup that i want because i love soup And i wouldn't want to have the same soup every single time but it's a magic pot so i can make the rules and uh and i'd love to have like you know cream of broccoli soup on one day and then i want to have like a chili on another day and carrot oh it'd be so good yeah
2: you know what i was actually thinking when they when the town was outraged that anthony was telling them about this pot and they said a pot that cooks food by itself or makes food by itself i thought that's kind of like an instant pot now you know you dump all the ingredients in and it just it cooks it totally by itself so it it was funny to hear that obviously this story that's a bit older and you know Mm -hmm. the technology that we have nowadays to cook things by themselves basically
0: (laughs) that's right we really we basically have magic pots already you're right yeah
2: Yeah, exactly
0: so Serena what song did
2: you bring in today?
0: I brought a song from uh, another Ontario artist, Jeremy Fisher. Uh, it's a song that's really uplifting, and I think it, you know, it captures the feeling that you have when you have a really great meal. This song by Jeremy Fisher is called "This Is the Good Life." Here it is. Welcome back to Midtown Bookshelf. That was This is the Good Life by Jeremy Fisher. We are exploring books on the topic of meals. And Matt Rappel, you've it, brought a book for us today. What book is that?
1: Yeah, so this book is without a doubt one of my favorite books that I have brought to Midtown Bookshelf so far. And you know that picture books are, of course, an important tool for teaching kids how to read. I mean, most of us in kindergarten, if not before, Grew up learning to associate the words in our heads with the words on the pages of picture books. But picture books can also be so much more than just tools for literacy. They can also teach new languages. They can pass down culture and knowledge from one generation to the next. And in some rare and wonderful cases, like for example, this book, they can succeed in doing all three of those things. The book is called Awasis and the World Famous Bannock and it's written by Dallas Hunt, a teacher and writer from Northern Alberta's Swan River First Nation. And I will say it's illustrated gorgeously by Amanda Strong, an artist based in the unceded Coast Salish territory of British Columbia. And what I absolutely love about this book is that it puts the Cree language right smack in the middle of the text so that readers young and old indigenous and non-indigenous can try their hand at learning to pronounce and speak some of the traditional cree words for everyday things now just to be clear i don't have any indigenous background personally and i am certainly not a native cree speaker and i do recognize that there is some colonial aspects with a non-indigenous person reading um, and speaking the Cree language. However, the goal of this book, according to the author, is to spread the Cree language and have people use it in uh, as a living language. And that's really carried out in the way the book is structured. So the book includes a pronunciation guide for those of us who are new to the Cree dialect. And the, uh, the publishing company, Portage, Portage and Main Press, um, also posted a really, really helpful... Uh, pronunciation video on YouTube so I am gonna do my absolute best to pronounce the words properly um, but I apologize if there's any words that I I mispronounce I will also say last thing that this book also comes with an amazing recipe for uh, the world-famous Bannock and so it's really a cookbook a dictionary a beautiful picture book with a charming story this book really does have it all And I'd recommend it for everybody, of course, um, but especially for parents who happen to have young children at home and you're maybe looking for a different culinary and literary adventure to have with that child. So here's the book. It's called Awasis and the World-Famous Bannock by Dallas Hunt, illustrated by Amanda Strong. Awasis spends every Sunday with Kokum. One Sunday. Kokum asked Awasis to take some of her world-famous bannock to a relative. Along the way, Awasis jumped over rocks. She ran through fields and skipped over bridges. But then, while she was having so much fun, Awasis dropped Kokum's world-famous bannock off of a bridge. Oh, no. Awasis noticed that she had lost Kokum's world-famous bannock And she started to cry just then sisi waddled by and noticed Owasis crying tansini totem sisi quacked what's the matter i'm going to pause there for a second allison and serena do you have an idea of who sisi is is
2: it a duck did it say quack
1: it did say quack yes it is and that's what (laughs) i love about this book is that it doesn't necessarily give the english words for it but instead relies on the the reader's um understanding of the images and because we have no images here the other forms of text there so yes you're right cc is the duck thanks so tansini totem cc quacked what's the matter awasis replied i lost nukum's world famous bannock what do i do don't worry, Sisip quacked. I don't have any bannock, but I do have some Toto swapo Swapopimikin, and I'm pretty sure that's in bannock. Awasis smiled and gratefully accepted Sisip's offering. Awasis continued on her way. Just then, she saw Wapus hopping to and fro. Tansini Totem, do you know where I can find some bannock? Namoya, Awasis, but I do have some Askipa Kwecikan, and I'm pretty sure that's in Bannock. Awasis gratefully took Wapas' offering. She rubbed Wapas' belly and continued on her way. Now, do you think you know maybe who our mystery giver is this time, Wapas?
2: I think that was a rabbit, right?
1: Yeah, because so, yeah, Wapas was hopping to and fro, absolutely. Nice. <laughs> At the stream, Awasis saw Anikas jumping from stone to stone. Tansini Totem, Awasis yelled. Do you know where I can find some bannock? Anikis stopped her leaps and croaked. Nemoya, Awasis, but I do have some seaweed, seaweed, one, and I'm pretty sure that's in bannock. Awasis gratefully accepted Aikis' offering. Awasis jumped over the tiny stream and continued on her way. Do you think that you know who is
0: a toad or a frog? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, you got it. Yes, at the stream hopping and croaking, that is a frog. Now, Oasis continues going on her uh, forest journey and she gets more ingredients from her animal friends, including sweet again from Oho. Do you think you know who Oho is? And think about the sound that an animal would make.
3: Hmm. Mm. Oh, sure. an owl? Or an owl, a... you got it. Yeah, okay. Ooh. Ooh,
0: okay Allison, yeah. you're so good at this.
1: Good. <laughs> Yeah, and that, I mean that's what I love about this story. It really does challenge us to to look at the at the words and the na- the names in a different language and see if we can figure it out. Uh-huh. Um, so we'll pick up the story right after Oho has given Owasis his wisest owly advice. <laughs> Owasis raced straight home, no jumping on rocks or skipping over bridges. She stumbled through the door. I'm sorry, Kokum. I dropped your world-famous bannock off a bridge. I asked many animal friends for help, but they gave me all the ingredients instead. Kokum laughed. It's okay, Noisam. We can make some more together, but we still need some toto sapoy. Just then, Kokum and Oasis heard a knock at the door. It was Masqua. He had some toto sapoy. Sapoy! just what we were looking for, said Kokan. And I'm not going to read the end or spoil who was Masqua, but I'm sure that you can imagine that this book concludes with a very happy feast. (laughs) And that's the end.
0: Nice. That's a lovely book.
2: Thanks for sharing that one, Matt. I've never heard that book before. It's really nice.
1: What I loved about this book is that it's so deep. There's so many layers about it. I mean, you have the recipe for the world-famous Bannock in the back of the book, you have the Cree language, but I also think that the story itself does a great job in expressing this particular Indigenous culture. I mean, you have a girl who's out on the land going through the forest and is helped by the animals. There's just so much in this book to get into, and I think it's just a really wonderful story, and it does a great job of introducing uh, non-Indigenous folks and and hopefully young Cree uh, indigenous people as well to the, the Cree culture.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that it's uh, a really approachable way to kind of learn about a new culture. You know, it's a lovely story and what child wouldn't want to read about, you know, exploring through the forests and meeting and talking with animals. Like that's such a fun thing that children enjoy And then on top of that, they get to hear uh, the new language and uh, a new thing. You know, Bannock might not be something they're familiar with. So I like that it's a nice, approachable and easy way to just get uh, a little taste of another culture.
0: Something that's really wonderful about this theme of meals this week is that both meals and picture books are ways that we share our culture, that we celebrate it and that we can very uh, comfortably learn and experience new cultures. I know Matt and I, when we were traveling in Nepal, in addition to sampling so many great dishes there, we also picked up some picture books and and read those and felt that those were a way to sort of experience the Nepali culture a little bit. So Mm -hmm. thank you so much, Matt, for sharing that book. Did you also have a song to share with us?
1: I certainly do. Because this book showcases the beauty of the Cree language, I wanted to choose a Cree artist who could share with us the beauty of Cree music as well. The group I found is called Young Spirit and they are Western Plains Cree, a drum group based out of Frog Lake, Alberta. And they actually formed in 2001 as a group of really close friends who wanted to represent their Cree culture through song. And their 2017 album, Miwa Sensational, was actually nominated for a Grammy. And I found an amazing article online talking about how they went to LA for the Grammys and got to perform a few of their songs live on the red carpet, right in front of the Backstreet Boys, right in front of Shawn Mendes, and right in front of Ariana Grande. The press was asking them to play all their music right there on the red carpet of the Grammys. I think that's a pretty cool experience. And so this song is not off that album, but it's off their most recent album, and it's fitting for today's theme. It is called Rocking Table Mesa by Young Spirit.
0: for tucking into these food-based picture books with us this week on Midtown Bookshelf. We have heard from Allison Dijak, Pancakes, Pancakes by Eric Carle, I, Serena McDermott, shared Streganona by Tommy DePiola, and Matt Rapolt shared
1: Awasis and the World-Famous Bannock, written by Dallas Hunt, illustrated by Amanda Strong.
0: We invite you to share some great meals with people you love this week and find ways to share the joy of meals with others in the community. We will be back next week with an all new episode. Until then, keep reading.